0: What's up, what's up, what's up, Fight fans? Welcome to episode number 157 of The Neutral Corner. I am your host, Michael Montero for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. Hope everybody enjoyed the Super Bowl this past weekend. Uh, Good game, good game. And guess what? It actually ended the same day it started. Unlike... That top rank card, this top rank slash main events card on ESPN and ESPN Plus Saturday night slash Sunday morning, but more about that later. Uh, guys, before we get into the news and notes, I want to give you your homework, your fee for episode 157 of TNC for the week of February 9th. Of course, I want you guys to get over to Spreaker. I'm going to be blowing that up for the next few weeks. I'm going to be harassing you guys to go over there and give us a follow. I will continue to post the link in a pinned comment on all the different streams and platforms that TNC is on right now. Need you guys to get over to Spreaker. We need to get caught up on that platform so that we can get the show over to Spotify and iHeartRadio. Of course, Anybody who wants to get over to Patreon and contribute to the show, contribute to the channel, tip the show, go over to patreon.com slash Montero Unboxing. And we still have a few t-shirts left. Uh, we sold out of some sizes, but anybody anybody interested in a MOB t-shirt, hit me up, unboxing at gmail.com. All right, guys, that's it with the uh, preliminary stuff. Let's get down to news and notes. <laughs> So let's start out with uh, Sergey Kovalev. Of course, we'll be talking about him uh, later in the show more because he had a great performance Sunday morning in Frisco, Texas. But uh, on the news front, his accuser, I talked a couple weeks ago about uh, him being accused of and arrested for assault, apparently, on a woman. And this goes back a while. It's just now coming out, but this does go back a while. His accuser's name and identity is out there publicly because she is suing him for eight million dollars. Her name is Jamie France. and the uh, her the post I saw, basically her I guess it was a lawyered up statement from her legal team, uh, basically calls her a actress model. Well, having lived in Los Angeles for ten years and having dabbled in the entertainment business for even longer than that occasionally here and there i met and dated several of these actress slash model types and generally speaking nine times out of ten and it's not just with the females it's the males too when they call themselves an actor you look a little further and you see that by actor they mean they did some acting in high school and they did one tv commercial for mcdonald's or something that's their resume and for this chick that's pretty much the same thing i would to call her an actress model because i don't see one credit that i could find on her uh, resume that is anything substantial i don't see anything on network or cable tv it's all indie stuff so yeah actress model eh. saying that in la is basically saying i'm a part-time bartender and i wash cars sometimes and i look for rich guys to date <laughs> to pay my bills anyway with this girl look if sergey kovalev did hit her obviously he's a piece of shit, and he needs to be uh taken care of uh you know charged really to the fullest extent of the law and this chick deserves every penny of that eight million dollars i don't know how they came up with that particular figure but she's claiming that she uh broke her nose and you know suffered serious injuries Yet, now that her name's out there, everybody's been checking out her Instagram and stuff. And her Instagram pretty much looks like a typical model actress wannabe, which pretty much is what Instagram is. (laughs) It's full of that. Uh, During the time of the supposed attack, there's no evidence of any uh, injuries on her face. And she was posting stuff on Instagram. Now, there is such a thing as makeup. There's such a thing as filters and everything else. My thing is, man, when when you start to add a dollar figure in a lawsuit and then when you have social media accounts and you're posting all these happy, lovey pictures, you know, right after this horrific attack where you were brutally beaten to where your face was damaged, it just doesn't look good. It doesn't add up. Now, we will see Kovalev will have his day in court, just like the Marcus Browns of the world have, just like the Adrian Broners have, just like the Floyd Mayweathers have, and several other boxers that we could name that have had issues like this in recent years there seems to be an issue with uh athletes in fight sports particularly and domestic violence and you can include american football in that too because that's a contact sport there just seems to be an issue here that we see more and more and more especially in the hashtag me too era but anyway jamie franz it's f-r-o-n-t-z a wannabe actress and model in la gee i've never heard that one before uh accusing a guy of of hitting her and suing the hell out of him for a lot of money well this sort of thing happens a lot and more often than not, goes nowhere we shall see what happens and of course every time I get some uh, information I'll talk to you guys about it let's move on Uh, apparently one Gennady Golovkin Triple G is suing his I guess now former managers the, the Herman brothers, Oleg and Max, for $3.5 million, and he's claiming that um, there was uh, just mismanagement going on, that they uh, didn't do him any favors in some fight negotiations, and at, at cer- certain points in his career, they took bigger commissions than they were supposed to take. Kind of an odd look from Triple G, honestly. I mean, the guy made tens of millions of dollars over the last couple of years fighting Daniel Jacobs and fighting Canelo Alvarez twice to sue for $3.5 million. These guys must've really pissed him off because that's a, a drop in the bucket compared to his career earnings. I mean, it's literally less than 10% of his earnings over the last, I don't know, 18, 24 months. So, uh, but you were still waiting on an announcement and I still strongly feel Triple G is gonna to go to the zone and that's all I'm gonna say about that for now. Moving forward. Pacquiao Broner, that pay per view a couple weeks back. Uh, I guess now it's almost three weeks ago, right? Did a six million dollar live gate at the venue there in Las Vegas. About eleven thousand tickets, a little over eleven thousand tickets sold. It was not a sellout crowd that some reporters like Mike Coppinger said repeatedly on Twitter, um, you know, a lot of these guys that again, they, they, they want to be the first to to talk about something. They want to have the, you know, the scoop the numbers and they want to talk about it before it's really, really known. And they're sitting there tweeting, yeah, it's a sellout 13.5,000, yada, yada, yada. There were less than 2000 tickets, uh, less, well, 2000 plus tickets. Uh, oh, Jesus, I can't talk today. 2000 less tickets sold than a sellout. Okay. So there were a little over 11,000 sold $6 million gate, Good job. They did a good gate. That's good revenue, especially, you know, uh, for a fight that nobody really wanted to see. But it was not a sellout. So a lot of people were reporting about that. Anyway, that that Pacquiao Broner card did overall pretty damn well. When you consider uh, the gate really didn't cover a whole lot, but 400,000, almost 400,000 pay-per-view buys, you know, after you whack that all up, that's about 15 million in revenue plus the $6 million gate that covers Manny Pacquiao's money, right? But then of course you got Adrian Broner, 2.5 million, and I'm sure there was some upside for him somewhere in it. And then the undercard fighters, promotional cost, everything else, you know, Showtime's getting their cut. So you might think, well, this probably didn't make shit, but then you have to factor the foreign TV money that comes in for Pacquiao. He brings in a lot of sponsorships, merchandising, things like that. So overall, did this card make a boatload of money? No but it was a profitable and marginally successful card. So it shows that Pacquiao is still a brand. Now, I would have preferred that this fight go to Fox. I think it really could have done a a great ratings on Fox. Just not Fox Sports 1, but regular Fox that Saturday night because uh, there was no NFL to go up against or anything like that. But I understand why they went pay-per-view. It's because Pacquiao wants a certain amount of money. And that was part of his deal with PBC. So this is going to be the route. They're going to go with Pacquiao. I don't know if you guys are going to see Pacquiao off of pay-per-view again. Probably not going to happen while he's with PBC. Speaking of PBC, the Thurman Lopez main event that took place at Barclays Center in Brooklyn did uh, peaked viewership, peak viewership 2.7 million people. That's pretty damn good. Charlo Korobov peaked at 2.4 million in December. So it's a slight uptick from Charlo Korobov. However, it's good news and not so good news in the same. Here's the good news. It's an uptick. That's good. Anytime anything trends upwards, that's good. However, Charlo, not really a name brand. Of course, Korobov, not a name brand at all. For that fight in December, right around the holidays, to peak at 2.4 million, and for Keith Thurman, who's supposed to be the PBC's, Second, third biggest star to only peak at 2.7 million, you know, slightly higher than Charlo. uh, Not necessarily uh, a great thing. However, he's been out of the damn ring for two years. So this either means Thurman isn't quite as popular as everybody thought or the Charlos are more popular than we thought. I guess we'll find out when uh, their next fights are announced and how those do. Wilder Fury 2, the rematch between Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. Expected to go to Barclays Center. They're talking, uh, pr- it's probably going to go mid-May. They were originally saying it could be late April. I don't see that happening. They need more time to promote that thing. Probably mid-May. They're talking about it. It's far enough in negotiations where I feel pretty confident You know, talking about it here. Um, but you would hope that they announce that card officially and get tickets going and everything else this month. That is a pay-per-view fight it is the biggest fight in the history of pbc i'm not including uh mayweather pacquiao i, I just that's a separate entity okay that was a mayweather fight i'm talking straight up and i, I know tyson fury not pbc but deontay wilder is the pbc's biggest brand and he was built on pbc floyd mayweather was a brand before pbc was even a thing that's why i'm not considering uh mayweather pacquiao it's just a different animal okay in terms of PBC, guys who grew up on PBC, Deontay Wilder is their biggest brand. This is the biggest fight in his career. It's the biggest fight in PBC's, what, four-year history? So they need to market the hell out of this thing, and you need at least three months to do that. So if the fight's going to take place in May, it's got to be announced officially here in February. They can't dick around and take their time with this. They need to get going. Last but not least, Alexander Vostek fighting in probably March 30th in Philly, opponent and venue to be announced, but likely to be Philly, likely to be on ESPN, and March 30th is the date. So of course, he's got to fight Marcus Brown. That's his mandatory. I think Marcus Brown has the interim title now, but Vostick does get that voluntary defense and they're going to take it in March, which means his fight with Brown, probably going to be probably in the fall. Because that's going to be, you know, eh, I don't want to say a really difficult negotiation, but uh, if they don't reach an agreement, it'll probably go to purse bid and everything. But I just see that probably getting pushed back. That tends to be how those negotiations take place. I'd like to see that fight in the summer. I know you guys would too. Probably going to be in the fall. Vostick, likely only going to fight twice this year. That's just the way I see it. Okay, guys, uh, that's it with news and notes. Let's get into the review of what we saw in the ring around the world last week. Friday, February 1st, we had a upset special at the Main Street Armory in Rochester, New York. This was on Showbox, Showbox uh, Headliner, where DeAndre Ware out of Toledo, Ohio, scored a majority decision in a 10-rounder against previously undefeated Ronald Ellis, the older brother of uh, welterweight prospect Rashidi Ellis. This was, uh, as I said, a 10 rounder, super middleweights. Ware was coming off his first career loss that he suffered last September. And he hadn't fought since that loss. And uh, for Ellis, of course, this is the first loss of his pro career. So one of the things I love about Showbox is we see stuff like this, man. We see we see guys uh, coming up that have to prove themselves. And a lot of times you see guys, you know, where someone's always gotta go. Sometimes you got a guy with an O fighting a guy who's on paper being brought in to kind of be the opponent but you get something like this so where with the biggest win in his young career and Ellis with the first blemish in his young career let's see a rematch I think that'd be good Saturday February 2nd we had action on both sides of the pond let's start over in London at the O2 arena it was a matchroom card on sky over there and Sergio Garcia out of Spain, uh, promoted by Sergio Martinez Maravilla, the former middleweight champion of the world, uh, defended his junior middleweight, European junior middleweight title against the cheese man, Ted Cheeseman, who suffers his first loss as a pro. Uh, Garcia now 29 and 0 Cheeseman, he was just melted in this fight, man. He's now 15 and one. The cheese has holes in it. The cheese has been melted. The cheese is old and moldy. Uh, Two judges had this 119-109, which was the correct score. Massimiliano Bianco, Italian judge, obviously, scored at 115-114 for Sergio Garcia. So this guy is what we call in Italian-American culture, estunad. Basically, he's a fucking idiot. That was a terrible score. It was the worst score of the weekend. Even Stevie Wonder, even a dead Ray Charles, could see that uh, clearly... Garcia won 11 rounds in this fight. Uh, there were members of the media who had a really, really bad night scoring a fight here in the United States that was pretty much 11 rounds to one two. More about that later. But uh, for Garcia really looked good in this fight and proved that he's world-class. You know, uh, sometimes these guys with European titles, <clears throat> we don't know what to think of them because the competition could be soft over there, let's be honest. It's the same thing here in America when a guy has, you know, the America's Continentals title, all this, you know, all these minor titles over here. There's an Asia Pacific title. There's African titles. There's all these different regional and, and minor titles, and you don't know how to take those guys seriously. It's part of the process usually, though, working your way up to win those sorts of titles. And then you're you're working up to the interim titles and then world titles, and then you're trying to unify, all that kind of stuff, right? So sometimes we see these guys win these titles like the European title, um, the, the British title, whatever it is, and then we find out that they're duds. And sometimes we see them win these titles and we find out that they're studs and they're on their way to fighting for world titles. I think that's where Garcia is. I really, really do for the cheese man um i don't know man uh again that cheese has been melted He needs to go back in the fridge and and solidify everything uh there's you know it must be swiss cheese because there's a lot of holes in the game i don't know how many more cheese references (laughs) i can think of how many more lame cheese jokes Uh, i'm trying to think uh, i got nothing that's it uh seriously though this fight honestly could have been stopped the last few rounds it went um i don't know why cheeseman was in there just taking a beating i don't know why his corner did that to him. Uh, there was nothing that you could learn watching the last three rounds of that fight that you didn't see in the first eight or nine rounds. So for his team to keep him in there just to take more punishment so he could say he went the distance. I don't know about that shit, man. I, I have really mixed feelings about it. Garcia not a hard puncher, but you're still in there taking punches from a world-class fighter after taking punches for eight, nine rounds. Why keep him in there for the championship rounds? He Cheeseman's not a hard hitter himself. He was not going to score a knockout. He didn't have a chance in hell of winning. So I I thought that that was really shitty on Cheeseman, uh, his corners, you know, part. And then this uh, Massimiliano Bianco, that, that scorecard was just really, really bad from him, and he should be suspended. Okay, let's come over here to the U.S. of A. We're at the Ford Center at the Star in Frisco, Texas. There is a Top rank and main events, co-promotional card. But really top rank, obviously, was the lead promoter. Main events represents Kovalev. But uh, we saw Kovalev and Alvarez rematch. Now, I did a video about this, a rant video, uh, Sunday morning, yesterday, right after the damn fight. So <laughs> literally not that soon after the fight because the fight ended at about 2 a.m. Sunday morning. And I did the rant video around you know 9 a.m. So uh, yeah, check that out, okay? It's maybe, I don't know, 25 minutes or so long. I talk specifically about the fight itself, but then um, also just how significant of a win that is for Kovalev. I think it's really being brushed under the radar. And a lot of people just don't understand how difficult it is in, in boxing to come back and beat a guy who stopped you in brutal fashion. If a guy wins a decision or something like that and you come back and you decision him, you know, emotionally, mentally, that's tough. I'm not saying it ain't tough. Completely different than coming back and quite frankly dominating a guy who brutally stopped you and doing that at the highest level, you know, two top 10, if not top five, light heavyweights fighting. And, you know, doing that for Kovalev now, you know, this late in his career, Very, very big win, okay? So the the main event, uh, of course, last year, uh, Kovalev and Alvarez fought last August. Kovalev was ahead in that fight, and Alvarez landed a big shot in the seventh. Uh, Kovalev couldn't recover. He told everybody, you know, hey, I overtrained. You know, I left it all in training, and I just didn't have a good camp. And everyone's, you know, like, yeah, 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 whatever, We've We've heard this shit a few times, okay? We're not buying it, man. And all of us, just about all of us came into this fight, all of us except Tim Bradley, who looks like a genius right now and predicted Kovalev to win. All of us came into this thinking, you know, Sergey is probably going to get stopped again. On top of the psychological factor I just talked about before, fighting a guy who stopped you, he's got all this stuff going on outside the ring that I talked about in the news and notes part, you know, right at the top of this episode. He comes in there and shows that you know what? Maybe there was something to the things he was saying before. Maybe he wasn't bullshitting us. He looked sharp in his fight. He had a gas tank to go all 12. He fought a very disciplined game plan. And new trainer, Buddy McGirt, there's just there's a chemistry between these two. Maybe it's because Sergey's been so humbled by these losses to Andre Ward and Eladir Alvarez that, uh, you know, maybe he's just finally listening. I don't know what it is. But it's working because everything Buddy said to Sergey, he listened. There it looked like there might have been a few times, especially in the middle rounds, where Sergey was going to just start pressing forward, getting sloppy, and gunning for the knockout, you know, doing what he used to do before. As I said in my rant video the other day, it's like speeding in a school zone, right? Doing 20. Uh, miles per hour over the speed limit in a school zone. You're not only asking to get a ticket, you're asking to get arrested. And that's what Sergei did against Andre Ward. It's what he did against Eladir Alvarez. And on top of all that, he wasn't training properly. And we know this now because it's all come out. It's come out from former trainer John David Jackson. There's been plenty of other people that were in Kovalev's camps before, sparring partners, other people who have talked about Kovalev basically wanting to do his own thing and not listening to anybody. Well, now he's listening and I just thought McGirt, Buddy McGirt did a great job in a corner, getting him to fight old school, pull him back and just boxing. The guy is a seriously underrated boxer. And that's what happens, uh, particularly fighters of certain demographics, whether it's right or wrong, it's just what happens. They are stereotyped unfairly. And on top of that, if you're built up as a knockout artist, if your nickname is the crusher, People are going to see you as a knockout artist first and a you know a disciplined boxer second. At his best, Kovalev is really a boxer puncher who uses utilizes his heavy hands when he throws straight shots, particularly counter shots when he catches you, when he catches your shot, catch and shoots or when he dips or backs up just enough to get Outside of the range of your punch, when he makes you reach and then comes back and pop, 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 just pot shots you. His pot shots are a lot harder and crisper than other guys who fight with that type of style. Uh, Usually, you know, you think of guys like Bernard Hopkins, Floyd Mayweather, they really weren't going to hurt you. Kovalev can punch like that, just little pot shots, just touching you, and it hurts you. The ESPN broadcast, they kept talking about Kovalev's, I think it was his right eye was a little marked up. His face was kind of red. The right eye was a little marked up. They didn't mention Alvarez's face once. But at the end of that fight, when you looked at the both of them, Kovalev looked fresh, like he could keep fighting. Alvarez looked exhausted. And his face, his eyes were swollen up. And they continued to get more swollen up throughout the morning. At the post-fight press conference, he really was marked and swollen up. And Kovalev, yes, he had a mouse under the right eye. But his face looked a lot better than Alvarez's. and, And the ESPN broadcast team just failed to mention that. Anyway, uh, scorecards, two, two judges or I'm sorry, one judge had at 120, 108. in judges Levi Martinez and Jesse Reyes had at 116, 112. Very, very bad scores. Again, guys, watch the rant video I did where I really talked about punch numbers, and I know punch numbers, you can't use punch numbers to score a fight. Sitting ringside if you're a judge or if you're doing media scoring. And I've done that before, you know, where you're sitting ringside and, and, and scoring some fights. I did it for the California State Athletic Commission once. I think that was on the Bradley, oh, it was one of, one of Timothy Bradley's fights. I can't remember which one right now. But, um, you know, you don't see the punch numbers. You're sitting there watching the fight. So it's impossible to score a fight off of punch numbers because you don't have the data. You don't get punch numbers until after the fight. But punch numbers can be used as, as one of several tools to analyze a fight after the fact. They're not the tell-all. They don't tell the whole story. It, you should not score a fight, post-fight, based upon punch numbers, but they are part of a, a series of tools that you can use to analyze what took place. And I know, they're not always completely accurate, although studies have been done and they're usually more than 90% accurate. But when you got one guy, Sergey Kovalev, landing more punches in 11 of the 12 rounds, throwing more punches in all 12 rounds, five of the rounds more than doubling the amount of landed punches, and numerous rounds more than doubling or tripling uh, the punches thrown of Alvarez, that gives a clear indication to who is more active in the fight. Who is being more active throughout every single round? And I understand it's round by round, right? Each fight is 12 little fights and you score each round independently. Just looking at the punch numbers of this fight, it gives you an indication as to what took place. Then you watch the fight and you see what happened. And clearly, Kovalev won at least 10 rounds. So for two judges to give Alvarez four rounds, that tells me that they were scoring grading on a curve, if you will. And there were media folks, you guys know the names, I don't even need to repeat the names because one in particular has properly been put on blast. Um, oh, what the hell, I'll say his name, Mike Coppager. I already said his name earlier in the show. Mike Coppinger had this fight even going into the 12th round. Guys, that's not cool. When you are a paid member of the media, When you are paid by a publication whether it be a magazine a newspaper a website that means you're taking money from fans not not well it is voluntarily but it's it's different than a patreon situation or something like that where people are saying hey good job man i want to tip you if somebody is paying for ring magazine or paying for boxing monthly magazine or paying for premium access to whatever boxing site or whatever it is They're paying for that publication. They're putting their trust in that publication to get good coverage, good news, to be able to decipher through all the bullshit, all the muck that's out there, all the fake news and amateur media bullshit that's out there, right? That's so biased most of the time. It's not just in boxing. It's with all news now. I mean, you guys know. I mean, look at cable news and how crazy that shit is. So if you're paying a publication as a fan to get quality news, boxing news. You deserve to get some media entity, whoever it is, that knows how to score a damn fight and won't let emotions and personal grievances and all that get in the way. Now, I understand there will be some of you out there that say, well, Mike, you've been dismissive of Andre Ward in the past, of, of Floyd Mayweather, yada, yada, yada. Yes, I have. I don't improperly score their fights, though. Guys, you you can see the videos out there. I did a video on uh, Floyd Mayweather and Manny Pacquiao, breaking it down round by round after the fight and showing how clearly Floyd Mayweather beat Manny Pacquiao. Clearly And, and fairly definitively, okay? The Filipino fans all jumped on me. I didn't take the video down. It's still up there. Go search for it and find it. I can't remember exactly what the hell I called it, but it's, you'll, you'll find it. Do a quick search, boom, you'll find it. And there's more dislikes on that video than likes. I used to have a pretty significant subscribership from the Philippines. They all jumped ship after I posted that video. That is me being honest about a fighter, Floyd Mayweather, who I don't particularly like. I don't like the way he conducts business. He shuts out media entities, uh, myself, and, and several of my colleagues from covering his fights. He does shady shit behind closed doors with USADA and the Nevada State Athletic Commission. There's all kinds of things about Floyd Mayweather, you guys know if you follow me, that I'm very critical of. Yet, I clearly stated he beat Manny Pacquiao. And all these videos and conspiracies that Pacquiao actually won that fight, they're complete bullshit. I said that and stood by it at my detriment. It cost me money. It cost me subscribers, Okay. That is me trying to be unbiased in giving people the real scoop. Can't say the same for some of these other folks who are out there being paid a lot more money than I am, full time doing this stuff and consistently reporting bullshit. Consistently reporting rumors as facts. Uh, you know, horribly, horribly scoring fights and covering fighters with bias that blinds what's what they're seeing so anyway i'm gonna pat myself on the back for that one and i'm gonna diss the people who are out there bullshitting because one of you guys on twitter made a great point i can't remember which one of you what i'm sorry i can't remember the name but you said you know when somebody is is tweeting out scores during a fight a media person tweeting out scores during a fight in in right into the 12th round are saying i got this fight uh, it's it's decided by one point. It's a one-point fight going into the 12th. The fight's up for grabs. If you're a fan who missed the first 11 rounds or you don't have the fight, uh, maybe you don't have ESPN, whatever, ESPN Plus, and you're kind of you know checking out the news on Twitter, man, you're thinking this is like a close fight. And then when you finally get to watch the fight later and you see how one-sided it is, you're so disappointed because you're expecting this back-and-forth seesaw battle and then you see a complete domination. So it's, it's, it's fake news and it's bullshit and it really, really hurts the fans. And ultimately it hurts the sport. And I take that shit personal, okay? Let's talk about the rest of the card. I've talked about the main event already too much. Again, guys, go check out my rant video. Richard Comey out of Ghana finally wins a world title in a great performance. If it wasn't for the great main event, and, and uh, Tiafima Lopez, a really dominant performance. I mean, I'd say Richard Comey had the performance of the night. He blasted the Russian Isa Shaniev out in two rounds. And Shaniev is not a pushover, he's a decent fighter. I'm not saying he's world class level, he's a decent fighter. Comey is now 28 and 2, but those two losses really, I mean, they were what split decision losses, and a lot of people feel that he deserved those wins. So a lot of people look at him as an undefeated fighter. He wins the vacant IBF lightweight title, and he punched his ticket for the Lomachenko sweepstakes. He is now going to, very, very likely, there there is a small injury to his knuckle, I think, but it should not derail this fight. Very, very likely going to fight Vasily Lomachenko, April 12th at the Staples Center in Los Angeles. Going to be a career-high payday for Komei career-high exposure, fighting the pound-for-pound best fighter on earth on ESPN. And this guy is so deserving of it. This is why I love boxing more than any other sport. And this is the reason I love it more than any other reason. Because a guy like Richard Comey, coming out of Ghana, imagine, okay? People aren't coming out of Ghana loaded with money and opportunity, all right? That's why those fighters out of there are so damn hard. This guy has had to work and bust his ass. It's, it's a lot like Sergei Kovalev, honestly. You know, and the way he came up in the sport. Same same kind of thing for Komei. And he's worked so damn hard. He's gotten screwed over a couple times in the eyes of many. Maybe he barely lost those two fights. And let's say he really legitimately lost those fights by split decision. Then a lot of people write him off as an opponent. But he keeps trying, he keeps working, keeps working. He gets an opportunity here and boy did he cash in. And now his life and the life of his kids, the life of his future grandkids, forever changed. All the hard work, all the punches in the face, all the bullshit this guy has suffered through and kept moving forward have finally paid off. If you can't be inspired by that, you ain't human. That's why I love boxing, man. Good for Richard Comey. Also, we had Oscar Valdez uh, making his, uh, I want to say, comeback. I guess it's kind of a comeback because he was coming off off a broken jaw. He suffered against Scott Quigg in the monsoon bout last March at StubHub Center. Comes back, scores a TKO7 win against uh, Carmine Tomasone, 2016 Olympian out of Italy, making his uh, first, his American debut and first fight outside of Italy. Defends uh, his title for the WBO featherweight title for the fifth time with this win. And Valdez, look, he looked a little flat early on. Uh, Tomasone had some moments early on. He he had a nice little jab. Just had absolutely no power to keep Valdez off. I don't know what it is. Italians used to punch hard. But in recent years, you know, with the Pauli Malignagis and uh, Carmine Tomasones, uh, not punching very hard. <laughs> I don't know what's up with that. Uh, Rocky Marciano would be like, guys, what's up? But Sit down your punches a little bit more. Come on. Anyway, uh, Valdez, yeah, yeah, you looked a little flat early on. So what? The guy's coming off an injury. He's been out for almost a year, okay? You're going to have some ring rust, particularly when you're a guy who's used to being busy. He's been working with Eddie Reynoso, trying to work on some stuff. You can see that it's he's still thinking about it a little too much. It's not flowing out of him yet. But After three, four rounds, he really settled in. He dropped Tomasone uh, twice in the fourth and then dropped him again in the sixth and the seventh. And uh, the seventh was a beautiful, nice uppercut that Tomasone ran right into. Ref stopped it right there. And that was it. So good quality performance from Valdez. He did get a little touched up in that fight, showed some rust. Look, do I think Valdez is a pound for pound level guy or anything like that? No, I don't see that in him. Too many flaws just too many flaws. But with uh, the toolage, you know, being in the camp with the Reynosos, working with Candelo on a regular basis, that's gonna help him. He's gonna win titles. Of course, he's already won titles at 26. He's gonna win a title eventually at one third, <clears throat> 130. He's not gonna be a Hall of Fame fighter or anything like that. I, don't, I, I just don't see that yet out of him. But he's gonna win titles and he's gonna defend titles. He's gonna lose some, win some but he's always gonna make for great TV fights. And the best thing about Valdez, uh, of course, bilingual. Um, he, he lives in Mexico, but he was born here in the USA and goes back and forth. But he's really, really good on camera. In the post-fight interview, if you guys didn't get to watch the fight on ESPN, go find it on YouTube or something and, and watch the post-fight interview he did with Bernardo, Bernardo Asuna. I cannot talk today. Uh, he did a great job. He, he really, really did. I think he's very comfortable and um, calm on camera and speaks very, very well. It just doesn't give the same old canned responses. Sometimes it kind of jumps to that when he needs to f- get his thoughts together and then he starts flowing. And I just, you know, I, I can see I've had that kind of training, you know, on camera and I understand. I could tell when a guy's just kind of, going through the motions and giving the canned responses. And then I could tell when he's actually thinking and having a conversation right there. And that's what Valdez does. Very, very good on camera. That's very important in this business these days. So uh, he's gonna continue to do big things for top rank. Now, I think that was on ESPN. Then they jumped back to ESPN Plus after midnight here on the East Coast. The first undercards were ESPN Plus. Then they went to ESPN for those bouts. Back to ESPN+. Plus, Where Fimo Lopez scores a KO7 win over Diego Magdaleno. Um, This was, uh, of course, a lightweight fight scheduled for 10 rounds. And these two were talking a lot of trash before the fight and during the fight. Lopez took it personally. I don't blame him. He went out there and put an absolute ass whooping on Magdaleno, who is a good quality 12-year pro, knows how to handle himself in a ring, has never been blown out like this before. Definitely was fighting something, you know, he he saw something new in this fight he's never seen before. Lopez just beats the shit out of him. Gets him out of there in the seventh round. Fight should have never went to the seventh round. It should have been stopped in the sixth round by the referee, if not Magdaleno's corner, who I think really should be getting a lot more shit than they're getting. Max Kellerman, Andre Ward went off after the fight. A little bit about Magdaleno's corner. I went off on Twitter But most of the media just kind of giving them a pass because uh, they like those guys. But man, I'm not even going to mention their damn names. It's not even worth it. Terrible, terrible job by Magdaleno's corner and by the ref. And he suffered damage in the seventh round that's going to change his life. Definitely going to change his boxing life. But who knows? You You know, you don't know these things right away. But years from now, Magdaleno might have some health issues because of the damage he suffered in that, last few minutes of the fight that shouldn't have have ever existed anyway lopez scores you know an emphatic knockout he's excited he's young this guy had been talking shit it was his big first test as a pro and he passed the test with flying colors does the backflip starts dancing and all that i understand that i get it youthful exuberance cool but then magdaleno's still like basically comatose on the canvas, and he starts doing this shoveling motion. Dude, that's a little too much. Am I personally offended? No, I don't give a shit. Nothing offends me. You know what I'm saying? But if I'm thinking from a business perspective, you know, if I'm putting my promoter manager cap on right now, no promoter would look at that and be like, good job, dude, that you do more of that shit. Act like a complete dick when your opponent might be dead on the canvas because you know people haven't died in boxing this year already. you know That never happens. No. I mean, guys, it's common sense. And I talked about this on Twitter, I tweeted some things out. Some of you guys were like, I like it, man. It's cool, I like the edge. I understand as a fan why you might like that. But again, put your promoter cap on. Most people aren't gonna like that. If he had just done the dance and celebrated and then ran over and said, oh shit, man, is this guy okay? Different story. Even with the shoveling motion and all that shit, in the post-fight interview with Bernardo Asuna, he could have made up for it then by saying, hey, look, my emotions got the best of me. You know, I really hope that Diego is okay. I really, really hope he's okay. This is a tough sport. People die in this sport. And I wouldn't wish anything like that upon him. I hope he's all right. I mean, guys, look what just happened to Adana Stevenson against Alexander Vozdick. Look at what he's going through. His life is different forever. His family's life, different forever. And this dude's doing a shoveling motion over (laughs) Diego Magdaleno. Guys, come on. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that that's just stupid. Okay? I get it. Tiafima Lopez is young and everything else, but no excuse for that. Needs to reel that shit in. Other than that, amazing performance. And this kid is legit. He's ready to contend for titles now. He's not ready for Vasily Lomachenko. Not there yet. There's absolutely no reason to put him in there with Lomachenko. Anybody else at 135, anybody else he is ready for. So uh, I'd like, he says he wants to fight maybe Jose Pedraza next. That might be interesting. You know, I think he's absolutely ready for that kind of a test. We shall see. All right, guys that's it with uh last week let's preview what we got coming up this week this friday february 8th we have a, a few small shows going on uh, over in sydney australia tim zoo the son of the great costa zoo who is 11 and 0 with nine knockouts making his 12th pro fight uh, 24 years old junior middleweight and I uh, just saw that on the on the uh, old schedule there and thought you guys might be interested I'm sure you could find a stream or something out there. See how this kid looks Here in the US of A there is a Thompson boxing card in Ontario, California at the Doubletree Pedro Moreno out of Yalisco, Mexico now fighting out of Sacramento He's 11-0 seven knockouts 140 pound prospect. He headlines that card and Michelle Rosado's Raging Baby events putting on a card in Philadelphia. Sonny Conto, American heavyweight, uh, making his pro debut. This kid is six foot four, is my height. Good size for a 21st century heavyweight. Uh, pretty decent amateur career here in the USA. 2018 silver medalist at the Golden Gloves that year, and uh, was won the bronze in the 2017 Golden Gloves. So. Uh, Good amateur experience, ready to get things started in the pros. Now, Saturday, one big card here, slight buzzkill to this card, but at the Dignity Health Sports Park in Carson, California. I just can't call it that. It's still the sub- StubHub Center to me. I mean, before that, it was the Home Depot Center, but StubHub, that's just, it'll always be known as StubHub to me. Because for, for me, the best fights that I covered live. Several of them were there at the StubHub Center, and it'll just always be that for me. I, ca- I just can't call it Dignity Health Sports Park. What the hell is that? It's too hard to say. Anyway, in the main event, uh, this is a card on Showtime. Gervonta Davis going up against Hugo Ruiz, who is a last minute replacement for Abnamares, Mares, who pulled out of this fight due to a detached retina. He suffered in sparring, and this is actually the second detached retina Uh, Mares has suffered before. So, possible career-ending injury for Abner Mares. It was first reported that it might be an elbow injury, an ankle injury. Again, there was five billion posts all over the place. There was YouTube videos, there was tweets, there was a boxing scene, there was a bunch of articles. Come to find out, when the facts came out, it was actually detached retina. So again, just more uh, fake news, rumor bullshit to get everybody talking and get clicks and revenue. Abner is out, possibly for good. Detached retina. Hugo Ruiz jumps in. So Javante Davis, who I already thought was going to put an, a- an ass whooping on Mares after a few competitive early rounds. He's 20-0 with 19 knockouts, by the way. Uh, he's absolutely going to blitz blitzkrieg. Hugo Ruiz. If you don't know who Ruiz is, he's out of Mexico, now lives in Glendora, California, which is in the Inland Empire, about 30 miles north, northeast of LA. And um, he's fought as low as 115 pounds. He's fought at as high as 126, just once. His last fight was at 126. Uh, Bulk, Good bulk of his career, 118, 122. So he's a lot smaller than Davis. He's fought outside of Mexico five times, two and three in those fights. He's been stopped twice. Last fought on the Pacquiao Broner card three weeks ago in Vegas, and that was the featherweight fight. So this dude is jumping way up in weight, last second, fought 10 rounds a few weeks ago, going to get that ass tapped. (laughs) For Davis, he won the IBF 130-pound title off Jose Pedraza, of course, in his breakthrough performance in January 2017, had one defense that May and then lost the title on the scales in his second defense that August. Somehow, last year, he only had one fight, comes straight back into a title fight, even though he didn't even make 130 in his last fight and lost the title on the scales. The WBA says, ah, that's cool, man. Come fight for our title. Jesus Quijar, who is coming off a loss, mind you, coming off a loss, so a guy who couldn't make the division weight limit lost his title on a scale and a guy coming off a loss both fought for the WBA 130 pound title last April. And of course Davis won that fight TKO three and sat on his ass for the rest of the year. So here he is headlining a Showtime card. Yeah, that all makes sense. Uh, so anyway, Davis will win big in this. Also Ericsson Lubin taking on Ishe Smith in a 10-round, 154-pound bout. Sharif Bogari going up against Javier Fortuna, 10-round lightweight bout. And Mario Barrios, 23-year-old prospect out of San Antonio, Texas. 22-0, 14 knockouts, five foot 10, fights at 140 pounds, fighting in a scheduled 10-rounder. Also, we have more action at the Fantasy Springs Casino in Indio, California. From Golden Boy Promotions on the zone, Alberto Machado out of Puerto Rico defending his WBA 130 pound title, going up against Andre Cancio. This will be the third defense of his title. Machado is 21 and 0, 17 knockouts. Huge for that division. Huge. In the main event, Ray Vargas going up against a cab driver from Venezuela. For the fourth defense of his WBC super bantamweight title. Possibly could fight Daniel Roman next. That's why he's fighting a cab driver. They don't want to screw that up. So should he win this fight? And he will. He's 32-0 with 22 knockouts. He's fighting a pizza boy. I think this guy's a part-time pizza boy, part-time cabbie out of Venezuela. He's going to win this fight easy. And hopefully unified titles with Daniel Roman later this year. That's not all we got this weekend though, guys. Sunday, we've got Sunday action from the Save Mart Arena in Fresno, California. Top rank on ESPN, not ESPN Plus. ESPN <laughs> in the main event, Jose Carlos Ramirez, the second defense of his WBC uh, junior welterweight title, going up against Jose Zapeda. Ramirez is twenty-three and zero with sixteen knockouts. Zapeda thirty and one, and his only loss. Came against Terry Flanagan in 2015. He dislocated his shoulder in the second round of that fight and retired on a stool. So uh, that could be a pretty interesting fight. We shall see. I'll definitely be watching that one. Some good action this week. Uh, you know, look, it's not Javante Davis's fault that Abner Maris got hurt. So he's going to go in there and take care of business. That Showtime card, not the best. It's a, It's a lot of, you know... Um, although so, some of the, some of the undercard I think are some good evenly matched fights that should be all right. But the card on the zone, um, you know, yeah, mismatches too. I'm thinking though that Ramirez Zapata fight on ESPN on Sunday, that's going to be pretty good stuff, man. I, I just think uh, stylewise style wise, that's going to be a good fight anyway. So that's it for this week, guys. Episode 157 in the books. Remember, get your ass over the spreaker, and give us a follow there, okay? That helps us out and it's going to help get the show on Spotify and iHeartRadio. All right, you guys, I'll see you at the fights.